Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his, his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, we come to you this morning thankful for your word, um, thankful that we can come and worship and hear your word proclaimed to us. God, I pray that we let it analyze us and inspect us, God, and just if we have any resistance towards you today or any resistance toward your word, God, that we you put that down in us, God, and allow uh, your word to change us so we can go out and proclaim it. Um, where we live, work, and play. Um, Just be with Cliff this morning. Um, Speak through him, through the Spirit, as he brings forth this message this morning, God. Uh, It's in uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For us, it's so good to see you this morning as we continue our series that leads us from Advent and the coming of Christ in the Incarnation to the cross and the celebration of the resurrection at Easter. And I'm so thankful to see you this morning. I see faces that I know. I see faces that I don't know. And I would love the privilege of getting to meet you later. If you would just come and introduce yourself to me. I'm Cliff Ward. I'm one of the elders here at GFC. And I would love to meet you, not because of me, but because of who you are. And I'd love that opportunity to put a name with a face. And as we continue in the Gospel of Luke today, we'll be in Luke chapter 7, 
the passage just before what Drew and Emily read for us, verses 18 to 35. Are you the one who is coming? What a question that we get in this. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the power of those questions. So I'd like to read this passage to get us uh, familiar with it. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're able, would you stand in honor of reading God's word? This is Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 35. These are the words of Christ through the evangelist Luke by the Spirit. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and had given sight to many who were blind, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John, What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who put on fine clothing and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people who heard this, including the tax collectors, acknowledged the justice of God because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But by refusing to be baptized by him, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves. To what then will I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We wailed and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated or justified by all her children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, have mercy on us today. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. And this morning, God, grant that we may desire you and desiring you, seek you and seeking you, find you and finding you, be satisfied in you forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. 
If you know me, this won't be strange, but my favorite type of sentence is the question. Interrogatives. It's just fun to say. That's why I'm excited that in this next passage of our sermon series in Luke, Tracing the Life of Jesus, it's all about questions. The title of this sermon is simply the very first question that we're met with. Are you the coming one? And yet, if there were a subtitle to this message, it would be something like the power of questions because they make you think. Questions can annoy you. Questions can make you laugh, especially when they come from your kids. Questions can make you cry. But most of all, questions make you think and discover and change. We know this to be true even intuitively, right? I mentioned questions for my kids when we go on a trip. You know the question, I know the question. Are we there yet? Right, these questions come out. But the power of questions isn't just something we know intuitively. Our culture understands the power of questions in the very ways that I just mentioned. After all, all we have to do is think about the music that we hear, right? There are questions that touch your emotions. Why do... What's love got to do with it? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me, right? We have these questions. There's questions that make you think. Does anybody really know what time it is? Is this the real life or is it just fantasy? Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? What's that you say, Mrs. Robinson? Questions that make you laugh and roll your eyes. Who put the bump in the bump, ba bump, ba bump? <laughs> Who put the ram in the ramalama ding dong? Where did you come from, Cotton Eyed Joe? And then those that are just plain annoying, right? Who let the dogs out? I mean, really, who let the dogs out? I'm tired of hearing about the dogs that are out. Now, I hope you don't spend the rest of our time thinking about these questions and all the other unanswered questions that music gives us. Believe me, that would be a rabbit hole. But the point is to suggest to you that the best questions linger with you. They stay with you. They crop up again and again. They transform the way you see things or even lead to further questions. And I think that's my favorite part about questions is that often they lead to more and cause you to think. And in the text today, we meet just these kinds of questions. And I want to look at them in turn because they help us answer the ultimate question that every one of our gospels point us to. Who is this Jesus? That's the question. Doesn't matter what we're reading from the Gospels, that's the question. Who is this Jesus? And of all of the Gospel writers, it's Luke who is so intricate in the ways and most intentional, I think, and skillful that he narrates the story of Jesus seamlessly with the story of the First Testament and the narration of Israel. 
And so I want to look at these questions in turn. And the first question that we see from verses 18 to 23 is the question, are you the coming one? Are you the coming one? You see, John sends two of his disciples with questions after hearing all of the things that Jesus has done, right? He had stood up in the synagogue and read the text from Isaiah and said, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. Just before this, he had healed a servant and he had raised the son of a widow. Why does John ask this? Doesn't he know who Jesus is? You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told explicitly in this same passage that John was in prison and was knowing that his death was coming and he wanted his disciples to follow Jesus rather than follow him. But Luke has a different purpose in narrating this story to us. Notice that the question is repeated twice. That's how you know a question's important, right? If it's in there twice. Are you the coming one? Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's get that. Are you the one who is coming? Luke here is using the very language of the psalmist. In Psalm 118.26, we have the exact same phrase. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. Blessed is the one who comes in the, name of the war, uh, in the name of the Lord. Now, it's important to recognize where this is coming from. Psalm 118 comes at the very end of a series of psalms, Psalm 113 to 118, that are called the Hallel Psalms. These psalms were sung in Israel on the occasion, uh, on two occasions, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of tabernacles, both of which celebrated the national liberation of Israel from Egypt. In the first century then, when Jesus is saying this psalm, the context has changed. And the liberation that's expected for the people who say this psalm over and over again is from Roman rule, the Roman empire that has their fist on top of these people. They continue to pray this psalm saying, God, you saved us from Egypt. Will you save us from the Romans? Who is the king that's coming to sit on the throne of David? And that's exactly how Luke uses it later on. In Luke chapter 19, verse 38, we read, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now we kind of see the overlap there, but I want to show you what a rigid translation of Luke's original Greek looks like. That parallel with Psalm 118 and Luke 7 is even more striking. So here's the Cliff Notes translation of Luke 19.38. Blessed is the one who comes, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke brings Psalm 118 over directly and then adds a little bit in the middle for us. Blessed is the one who comes, namely the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
In English, that repetition sounds a little strange to us, doesn't it? So that's why our translations leave it out, and rightly so. But that rendering does show us that this question, are you the coming one, isn't John confused about what's happening. It's John making a very strong political statement. Are you the one who's coming to deliver us from the Romans? to free us and liberate us in our everyday lives. Are you the coming king? And I love how Jesus answers. Jesus could say, I am, and they'd all fall back, right? That's what happens in the gospel of John. It's lovely. I am, because that's the very name of God, right? Exodus 3, 4, who sent you? I am sent you. But he doesn't do that. And I think it's because Jesus has this understanding of wanting to disciple his people into the answer. And so he points out what they would have seen. And what does he point to? Go and tell what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. What is Jesus doing here? He's going back to the Old Testament and he's quoting Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, which says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless shall sing for joy. The passage from Isaiah would signal not just to John, but to all the disciples of Jesus, who were steeped in the Old Testament, who read Isaiah every day, that Jesus' very activity done right here and right now signals this inauguration of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is coming. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what I'm doing. Jesus wasn't the coming king, the coming Messiah, supposed to liberate Israel from the Romans, ushering in this time of peace? Like, like that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're expecting. But the passage from Isaiah gives us an even more subtle clue as to how Jesus understood this. And it comes from that very first word in Isaiah, then, right? Then points us back to the verse just before that, Isaiah 35, 4. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense, but he will come and save you. When does this peaceful kingdom come in? Comes when the presence of God is right there. And the point that Jesus is making to John and to the disciples is, blessed are you if you don't stumble over the fact that I didn't come simply to set you free from the Romans. I came as God in your very midst to introduce a peaceful reign. You want war and I come offering peace. 
Blessed is the one who is not offended, scandalized, stumbled by my overturning of your expectations because my ways are greater than yours. That's the first question. Jesus introduces himself by showing that the peaceful reign of God has come in. The second question, who is this John? We see in uh, 7, 24 to 30. In what remains of our time, I want to quickly look at the last two questions and suggest to you that while neither of these questions absolutely have to do with Jesus, they're actually centered on him. The question, what is John, is meant to help us see who Jesus is. So Jesus asks in his own subtle way, who is this John? And then he offers us an answer that's also drawn from the First Testament, drawn from the Old Testament. And your translation may suggest that by an indentation that it has or something along those lines. And he brings two passages together, one from the prophet Malachi, Malachi 3.1, and the other from the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. But even in this answer, he shows us something about himself. Look at what Malachi 3.1 says in the prophets. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Malachi 3.1. Now, in order to ask you a question, do you notice a difference between Malachi 3.1 and Luke's uh, use of it in chapter 7. In its original wording in Malachi, notice that it is God, I, am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, God, right? God is sending the messenger to prepare the way for God. In Jesus' use, as Luke tells us, the same meaning is given, though it's been altered. God is sending the messenger John to prepare the way before, not me, you. And yet it's still God preparing the way for God. The Father sending the messenger to prepare the way for the Son. Even in his answer to this question, who is John? He's saying, don't forget, I sent my messenger to prepare the way for God. For me, Jesus says. He's saying, Luke, in subtle ways, this isn't just a king, this is a divine king. John's ministry wasn't about John, John's ministry was about the translation, uh, transition to Jesus, as we see in the conclusion that those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than even John. What a statement. I don't want you to miss that statement this morning. It's the hinge of the entire passage. Those who are least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And that turns us to the final question here. Who am I? It's never a good sign when Jesus turns and says, what shall I compare this generation to, right? Like, you know, that's not going to be good news. And the answer to that question is defined by the relationship of the who am I to the Lord 
of the kingdom. Notice all the imagery we have here. First, we had the imagery of the king. Then we had the imagery of the messenger who comes before God. And here we have flutes playing and people eating and children dancing and weeping. It's a wedding feast, isn't it? Imagery of a bridegroom and a bride and a wedding feast. And yet what happens when the music is played? No one dances. When the bread and wine is broken and poured, no one feasts except tax collectors and sinners and the poor and the oppressed. It's Luke's way of telling us this generation is trying to determine the rules by which this whole kingdom thing is going to be played. But how does Luke in the passage He says, wisdom is justified by her children. Now, there's two striking points with Luke in that phrase. The first is that Luke is giving us a really early understanding of Jesus as the very wisdom of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.24, in Jesus, we have the power and the wisdom of God. The Proverbs are all about the wisdom of God and living our lives according to it. And the earliest Christians believed that Jesus' very words were the wisdom of God given to us from a person. But the second striking point is even deeper and important because it doesn't say that wisdom justifies herself. Wisdom is justified or vindicated by her children, the children of wisdom, the children of Christ, the children of God are those who are completely unexpected. The poor, the tax collectors, the sinners, the diseased, the deaf, the blind, the lame, and those who simply want to hear good news. After all, if we are in that situation, what can we hang our hat on except good news? And that good news is that God has come to save you, to bring you peace. In this kingdom, there is no room for privilege. It's just enough have a seat at the table of the bridegroom whose kingdom it is. And that's why I think the passage that follows this is so important that Drew and Emily read because the sinful woman comes thanking Jesus to anoint him, to show love to him because he has reached her and he has reached me and he has reached you. The wisdom of God is justified by her children because her children respond in obedience and love and faithfulness. As I make a couple of conclusions, I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up for one final song, but I want to share with you two things from that phrase on which this whole passage turns, the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John. 
The word least has two different ways of being understood here, I think. And the first is that there are some of you here today who think there's no place for me in this kingdom. What if God forgets about me? I've done many bad things. I've turned my back on him. What if he forgets me? Don't miss the fact that he is eating with tax collectors and sinners. With those who cheat and steal. The poor, the diseased, the deaf, the blind. And so if you are here this morning and you are weary and need rest. Or you mourn and long for comfort. If you feel worthless and wonder if God cares for you, if you fail and desire strength today, to all who are here and sin and are in need of a Savior, this Jesus opens wide his arms. And he is the ally of his enemies, he is the defender of the guilty the justifier of the inexcusable. And as we have seen here, he is the friend of sinners. You are welcome with him. But there are others here who need to hear that the least in the kingdom of heaven also suggests to us that the way we go grow closer to God is to make much less of ourselves. To be characterized by obedience and love and humility, the preference for others and the use of our gifts for God's kingdom and not for our own. This is the very picture of Jesus in Philippians 2, who humbled himself and came in the form of man, dying on the cross. And because of that humility, God raised him and gave him the name above every other name. And we grow closer to God by also growing in humility. A humility that's not manifested in one decision we made one day or one prayer we prayed one day, but thousands upon thousands of times every day where we surrender in obedience to the God that we sometimes just don't understand. The God who calls us to give our time to Him. The God who calls us to give our money to Him. The God who calls us to give our very livelihood and preferences to Him. Because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And that's not bad news. That's incredibly joyful news. My only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to God. That is least in the kingdom of heaven. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.